Hello, everybody. My name is Chris, and I'm a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. I've been coming to OA since November 22, 2001. My current abstinence date is June 3rd of 2018. My weight used to be up and down most of my life. My home meeting is in Elmhurst, Illinois on Saturdays at 10.15 a.m. I've weighed about the same since 2003. Today is March 25th, 2023. In OA, my top weight was about 220 pounds. My top weight in 1996, however, before I came to OA, was at least 437 pounds. I am 63 years old. I'm 5 feet 10 inches tall. And this month, I weighed in at 168.4. And I wear pants with a 36-inch waist. So I'm going to pass out my pictures. One this side, and if someone can grab this. Thanks, Lynn. Oh, thank you. This is a disease of self-hatred. And if you felt that way, you are not alone. That's my topic. So I've kind of geared my story into that topic. I was born in 1959, prior to my marriage to my wife in 1982, I was sexually active with men. I overate over that. The shame. My wife knew I was gay before we got married and still wanted to marry me anyway. I thought it was my one chance for a traditional life. I was faithful to her during the entire time we were engaged and and married, even though my mind wandered program of honesty. I'm the father of three children. I live in Melrose Park, Illinois, about 14 miles straight west of Chicago. Most of my life, I used to allow others to influence me constantly, seeking approval, seeking any way that I could please those people, people pleasing. If you've done that, you are not alone. I never felt I was good enough. I'm reminded that the acronym for the word binge is because I'm not good enough. My concept of God was punitive, always punishing, always trying to catch me doing something wrong. Most of the time I used to experience the driving need to overeat. In 1973, I had a defining moment. I graduated from grade school. And my mother prepared a cake, and on it, it didn't say, congratulations, graduate, or good luck in high school. It said, to the superior, inferior child. 
And I asked her why, and she said, well, Christopher, it's because you think you're so superior, but you're really inferior. If anyone has ever said anything to you that's made you feel so bad, you're not alone. When I was near my top weight, I went to Six Flags Great America. At that time, it was Marriott's Great America. It's funny, we're in a Marriott-branded hotel today. Isn't that amazing? And uh, I tried to go on Splashwater Falls. It was a ride that had a bench seat where the whole family would sit. And I couldn't fit. And they tried and tried to get that bar to go down. And the 17-year-old guy who probably weighs about as much as I weigh right now, but I thought he was, you know, a a stick, thin, um, he tried slamming it down, I mean, with all his force. And I said, look, let me just get out of the ride. And he said, no, 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 I've got an idea. Let me try one more thing. And he leaped up into the air and he jumped down on the bar with all of his weight and inertia, and it still wouldn't close. He said, sir, I'm really sorry, but I have to ask you to depart the ride. I will never forget that. And I did, utterly humiliated. I didn't know how to be fired from a job. I worked at a hot dog stand in high school And the boss gave me a check, and he said, this is going to be your last check. And I said, no, it's not. And he said, yeah, it is. You're harassing the customers. And I probably was, but didn't have the awareness because I was high on food. I was under the influence. I couldn't see it. Has anyone here ever done something under the influence of a toxic substance like excess food? Well, if you have... You are not alone. So I'm going to pass around and show the rest of my visuals now before I go on so I don't forget. I have my original wedding ring. I still wear it because I learned more about... I learned more about unconditional love from my wife, and we were the best of friends. I mean, you know, when... Before we got married, I I was scared to death. And she's like, well, they always say marry your best friend. And I said, but haven't you been listening? I mean, I told her all my escapades and what I was up to. And she said, yeah, but they always say marry your best friend. And I thought about it. And I, I went ahead and I don't regret. Actually, I don't regret any choice I've made. Even getting up to 437 pounds because maybe... It may not be someone here, but maybe someone needs to hear that, that someone could do that, and then be at a healthy body weight for about 20 years, because I never thought it was possible. So this is my original wedding ring from 1982, and this is one I had made later because I wanted to keep wearing it when I was near my top weight. I do need these back. (laughs) And the other one, the one fits inside... The other one. I don't know the size of the large one. I think it's a 23. 
and my other ring is a 10. And the funny thing is, when my wife died, we took her wedding ring off her finger, and I was able to wear it. So sometimes, to feel even closer to her, I wear that ring. I carry it with me in my backpack, that pack over there. It's a little anchor. It connects me to her in a way to let me know that I, I am worthy of that kind of love. Even if I never find that again, I had it, and some people never have that. So if someone would take these from me and just pass them around, I'll show the rest. This is a T-shirt I had. Uh, Actually, a friend of mine made it for me, and you probably can't read it, so I'll just say it. It says, abstinence is the most important thing in my life without exception. The only thing I would change is put the hyphenated word God-given before that. This is the only large shirt that I kept. I think it's 3X. I sweated the tag off. Anyone here ever sweat a tag off? Because, yeah, well, you are not alone. And the largest size I ever wore was 7X. This is a 3X, and you can see it's at least one and a half times the size of what I am now. This is an apron a friend of mine made for me because I spent a lot of time baking in the kitchen. It's made to look like a tuxedo. I could barely tie it around the back before, but now I can tie it around the front and still have room to make a bow. My second to last thing. This is the belt I wore when my waist pants, that I was buying pants that were 66 inches. So it's longer than that. I'm 5 feet 10 inches tall. So I'm just going to show you. It's hard to see, so I have to stand in front again. I won't talk while I'm showing. So the buckle touching the floor... It's right above eye level. It's not quite taller than me, but... And the story I have about that is um, I needed more holes made in it as I was losing weight, and I went to a shoemaker because they have that punch that they use on shoes and make, you know, for shoelaces and stuff. And as he kept putting more holes in it, (laughs) as I was losing more weight, he said, are you sure you want to keep this thing? He said, I could just cut it off. And I said, don't you dare. Because I may need that someday. And who knew that that day would be today, March 25th, 2023. So I tried a lot of things before I came to OA, besides anorexia and bulimia. Um, I used Dexatrim. I ate those candies that were supposed to reduce your appetite. But my appetite really wasn't reduced, so I'd eat the whole box of candy because I really needed it reduced. 
I tried a soup and yogurt diet. If something was soup or yogurt, I ate it. If it wasn't, I didn't. It was very strange that I just made that up. I tried eating one meal a, one meal a day. I tried eating only at home, eating only at work. Sounds very like the big book, you know? Commercial food plans, over-exercising. Dan- okay, I'm going to date myself here. I already told you I'm 63. Dancing to 45 RPM records upstairs over and over with the record changer and plopping them down one after another. And my mother yelling at me, would you stop? It sounds like you're going to come through the ceiling. Do you think I stopped? No. And if anyone here has kept on doing something that they know didn't work for them, you are not alone. I exercised with a vinyl suit on, those things that didn't allow my skin to breathe. I almost annihilated my pores and my ability to survive. I'm I'm actually going to insert a story here, and it actually has to do with me going to an OA convention one time. I showed up, and a member told me a year later, when they had the next convention, we had been in contact in between them, we exchanged numbers, and this person told me, you know what, when you showed up to the convention last year, I hated your guts. You didn't talk to anybody. You sat in the corner. You were very quiet. And you were a normal weight. And I thought, this is what the guy said. He said, I thought, what the hell is he doing here? And he said, then you told your story, and I knew. And some people, because I don't have what I call a turkey neck or anything, you know, and a lot of the outward, I mean, I don't swim in the pool with just a Speedo on. I wouldn't do that to you. (laughs) But you would know then that something was up. But a lot of people in clothes cannot tell I'm a compulsive overeater. But I sure as heck wore my disease, as you saw in those pictures. So most of these things I tried involved the use of willpower. But using willpower on this disease is about as effective as it is for cancer. Or to say, I won't have heart disease. My coronary arteries will not close off today. has nothing to do with that. OA suggests I rely on a power greater than myself. I try to cooperate with that power right now. In 1989, I was in a play at college, and I wrote down at the top of these reminders things to encourage me when I was performing, remember the higher power. Now, I had never heard that term before, but I must have been exposed to it somehow, and it went in. Like all of us, if we have carried the message to someone and we've just mentioned OA.org or over, I'm in a 12-step program, Overeaters, and maybe that was enough to plant the seed, and maybe somebody planted the seed with me, but that is the first time I remember even an inkling of knowing about 12-step programs. 
About nine years after that, in 1998, a friend gave me a book, The Twelve Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. I was offended. I chose not to go to OA at that time. August of 1999, the following year, one of the many times I lost weight, I went for an eye exam with my son, who was 14 at the time. He was my firstborn. The eye doctor thought he saw some swelling behind his eyes. Just over a month later, he died. The doctors never figured out why, even though they did an autopsy. But I will tell you this. Five of his major organs had immediate functioning in their recipients. He was an organ donor. They still couldn't figure it out. What does our invitation to you say? The reasons for the illness are unimportant. What is important is that we found a solution. And this is it for me. Anyone here ever wondered why something and had to know why? I want a reason. God's going to answer for this. or what? Well, if you have, guess what? You are not alone. A part of my heart just died when my son died. I know it's never going to grow back. I no longer expect it to. I accept that. I thought it was because I was gay and got married anyway and God was punishing me. Still, again, with that same old concept that wasn't helping me. It wasn't helping me in any way except to feel worse. People encouraged me by saying things like, we'll understand if you gain all the weight back. Most of my life, I would write in my daily planner, I-W-I-W-D. Anyone know what that is? Yeah. I wish I were dead. And that's how I felt most of my life. Now, I want to write T-Y-G, because I'm so grateful to God for everything that I've been given. Because I am not the only person in this room to have suffered a loss. And if you have suffered a loss, you are not alone. In 2000, I had continued to have major problems with food. Could it be that I entered, trained for, and completed the Chicago Marathon, which was kind of crazy from where I had come from? Could have been. I told only two or three people in my life that I was even doing it. Because after I did it and I told people, they're like, what were you trying to prove, Chris? These are the kind of people I had in my life. And that was their attempt at being supportive. Like, when my son died and I hid candy items 
I dumped them out of the plastic bag and put them in a... T- I brought a hand towel from home, put them in the, the hand towel in my drawer at work so that when I dumped the candy out, it wouldn't make noise when I went in there to take it. And my coworker, because I had gone back to work after, I think it was two weeks, and he said, I just don't know how you could do it. I said, do what? He said, come back so fast. Because, Chris, I love my son. Yeah. Anybody ever have somebody say something to you where you just like, they don't understand? This same person also asked me when I was heavy, he said, Chris, were you ever able to stand at a urinal, you know? And I said, yeah, I was, but I couldn't see what was going on down there much. So I may have missed. That's what this disease can do. So what happened? In 2001, I found OA on the Internet. I'd remembered that my friend had told me about it. This is only three years later. You know, I was on the three-year plan. And I'll finally do it. On November 22, 2001, an abstinent day, I went to my first meeting. That was Thanksgiving. It was at Swedish Covenant Hospital in Chicago. There was a bunch of people saying what they did with food, and I thought, oh, my gosh, where's the cameras? Because <laughs> I swore I was the only one. I was this, so unique. No one could ever understand. And when they told their stories, I thought one of two things. A, they're lying. They want me in, whatever this is, and I'm not joining. <laughs> or B, they're telling the truth, but it'll never happen for me because I'm different. They don't know me. I'm not that different, believe me. I can see that by the number of heads I've seen nodding at certain things I've said. Maybe you don't identify with everything I've said so far, but if you've identified with it, just one thing, you are not alone. Notice a theme here. <laughs> So uh, my first eight months in OA, I was having a terrible time with abstinence, trying to keep it together. I just couldn't, couldn't string any time together. I was having great difficulty. And then my mom died. I mean, I was abstinent off and on. And the day my mom died, it was really in the morning. I got the call from my dad, and he and I had never been on good terms. And I already shared that at a meeting this week. Thank God that my dad and I have lived so long that that whole relationship has turned around. And that can happen for you, too. Anyone here have a relationship that might have improved because of your... You are not alone. So... She died, and I thought, well, I overate yesterday, but I'm going to try. I mean, I think I had 14,000 calories on a regular basis, day after day, day in, day out. I'm like, well, I'll try again. It's never going to last. That abstinence that started that day lasted over 14 years. 2016, I had surgery on my gastrointestinal tract. I had a precancerous tumor in my duodenum. 
just outside uh, or duodenum, whatever you want to say, uh, just outside my stomach. And it was the day of the World Service Convention, and there were members praying for me. And I remember that, and I got through that surgery. And I couldn't have anything to eat for like five days because it was part of my GI tract. But when I got out, I started eating a little bit, and a little bit here, and a little bit there, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And guess who I told? I'm sure you can guess. Absolutely no one. Because I am going to do it on my own. So I waited a month before I told my sponsor and the people I was sponsoring at the time. And to a person, they were like, almost the reaction was like, are you sure? Maybe it was a slip. Maybe it just was a little sloppy. You know, what do you think? It's up to you. And I said, no, I am not going to feel right if I say I'm still abstinent and I know what I've been doing with food. I want to be honest. So I started again. And then I started again and again and again because I kept breaking it. Until June 3rd of 2018. Now, February of 2008, well, my wife had retired from work. She had been very ill. She had a lot of things going on. And she ended up passing away. She collapsed in our house. Uh, Thank God the cleaning lady was there. Otherwise, my son would have found her hours later. It would have been horrifying. But she passed away suddenly, which, by her own words, that's what she wanted. She wanted to go first. She didn't want to suffer that tragedy again of seeing someone she loved. She did what she could, and we mourned her loss And I brought a bunch of her clothes here finally today. I told my daughter, I said, the next time we have an in-person thing and they have a clothing exchange, I'm going to bring her clothes. So they're over there. And what gets used, gets used. And what doesn't, doesn't. You know, I'm one of those people who doesn't say, take what you like and leave the rest. I say, take what you need and leave the rest. Because if you take what you like, you may leave something you need. And you may not like what I'm saying here today, but maybe there's something there. Um, So what am I like now? And this is where I want to spend most of my story. Can I ask how much time I have left? Um, How about? um, 19 minutes. Okay, great. So now God-given abstinence is the most, from compulsive overeating, is the most important thing in my life without exception. Going to any lengths is geographic sometimes. This hotel <coughs> this hotel is about 83 miles from my house. But I've driven up to Milwaukee for Sunday brunches. And if I knew my food were up here and I were into the food, it wouldn't stop me from getting here. So I showed up. So, besides refraining from compulsive overeating, abstinence is what I don't do. So, in order for me to consider myself abstinent, I need to be approaching or maintaining a healthy body weight. So I've tied that into the OA definition. I also have some food types and 
behaviors that don't work for me. Now, I've been abstinent from these seven things, five food types and two behaviors, since July 28, 2002. But I am not abstinent completely because I wasn't always eating to approach or maintain a healthy body weight except since June 3rd of 2018. Again, it's honesty. So the five food types are sugary dessert items, peanut butter, pizza, restaurant Chinese food, restaurant Mexican food, starving myself, and laxative abuse. Five food types, two behaviors, and I haven't done any of those since July 28, 2002. Now, if I've had to use, um, you know, go without food for a day or 48 hours because I'm having a colonoscopy, that's medical necessity. That's not starving myself because then I bring food to the hospital to eat right after that. And, of course, then I have to have a bowel movement right after that because there's nothing been in my system and it goes through rather quickly. You know, I mean, I want to be as forthright and honest with you so you know, (laughs) although I've been wearing a mask all weekend except for now, I'm not wearing a mask when I'm showing you who I am. I don't want to hide. I follow a food plan, which includes a wide variety of foods that taste good to me. I weigh and measure most of my food in some way. How do I know if a food plan is working? Well, if it's nutritionally sound and I'm eating to approach or maintain a healthy body weight, it's working. I wrote my abstinence state in the front cover of each of my big books. This is just one of them. And I put it in the front, my membership date, which won't change because that will always be my first meeting. And I hope not to line through my abstinence date again. And in the back, I have my definition of abstinence. This way I'm not running to my sponsor saying, well, do you think I broke my abstinence? Because each of us, You apply for anything, a world service or any um, region, office. It says each of us is the sole judge of our own abstinence. And I want my abstinence to make sense. Certain foods are better off in the trash than on my body. A food plan, however, is not enough by itself. I need the spirituality of OA. I need God and the help only other OA members like you have to give. I know when God wants my attention, he puts weight on me. Or he allows me to have a craving. Or he permits me to feel pain without having to overeat over it. He wants me to come to him, to rely on him. The doors at the Ogilvy Transportation Center, where I often used to bring my folding bike when I worked down there before they closed our office, they have two sets of doors at the bike entrance and the handicap entrance instead of the revolving door. And I have to go in the first set of doors, let them close behind me, and then the door in front of me will open. Anybody ever had that experience, those kind of doors where you got to... It's like locking that chamber. Well, I don't have to regret the past or shut the door on it. 
I just know that door, that door doesn't disappear. That door is there, and if I want to go back out, I can push the button and go back out that way to where the overeating is, or I can stay in here where there's recovery. It's my choice. But there's a process. And I thought that was a nice visual for that. It's like my life in recovery. I've shared what I gave up, and now I'm going to go really quickly through a list of what I really gave up for the most part. And if you've ever experienced any of these things, you are not alone. Shortness of breath while sitting still, feeling sluggish, having the mental fog, holding the phone receiver up to my hairline so people couldn't hear me chewing while I was talking to them on the phone, frequent upper respiratory infections that were resistant to antibiotics, peanut butter hangovers, skin tags, lesions, moles, warts, having breasts that were larger than some women's breasts, stinking from my poor hygiene habits, my feet, which I could barely reach, passing gas because of all the foul things that I was putting into my body taking off a shirt without unbuttoning it all the way because I wasn't worth taking off a shirt properly. Hideous tooth decay, indifference, which is the opposite of love, not hate. Indifference, just putting up that wall. Making mountains out of molehills, molehills out of mountains. Eating food off the ground, out of the garbage, off other people's plates, spoiled food. The agony of not being able to fit into my clothes, having to be the best or worst at something, or not wanting to participate at all if I wasn't. Going to all-you-can-eat pancake breakfasts or smorgasbord restaurants and never feeling like I got enough no matter how much I ate or how long I stayed there. Um, Eating entire shrimp, even the tail, which you're not supposed to eat, which I didn't know because it could... Damage my digestive tract? Oh, wow. Denying that I have a disease? Clothes wearing out on my inner thighs from pilling fabrics? Painful stuffed feelings? The feeling of being poisoned, ill, and sweaty all the time, no matter what the weather? Tying my shoes on the inner ankle because I couldn't reach the center of my foot because there was too much of me in the way? The fleeting sensation of food that wouldn't last, never feeling satisfied. I'm reminded that for today, December 22nd, says that of all the addictive substances, the hit I get from food is the shortest lived. Binging on water, I mean, I was really desperate just to consume something. Gossiping, going from zero to full rage in less than 10 seconds. Exaggerating, embellishing in my experiences so that people might be interested in me, feeling like I wasn't enough no matter what my experience was. Breaking chairs at work, toilet seats. Using the trunk of my car in Illinois winters like a refrigerator to keep food fresh. Ripping my clothes on seats at movie theaters if I could even fit in the seats. Certain times if a movie was only playing at a certain theater, I wouldn't go because I knew it was going to be painful two hours. Forget it. Previews plus the movie? No way. Isolating, sneaking food, 
hiding. You know, isolation is where I go to practice this disease. It's where I went because I didn't want anyone to know. Having a sticky steering wheel on the car, frequent food stains on seat belts and clothes, rectal bleeding, constantly wishing I were dead when I wasn't thinking about food, people swearing at me on the street and on buses. Yes, when I was heavy, one person said, get your fat off this bus. So what do I do now? What are the daily actions I take that support recovery? When in doubt, I don't. I accept that compulsively overeating is not an option. If it's not an option, it's not even on a screen like for me to select it. So it's not an option. I recognize that I'm just one of many. I'm simply your brother on the journey. I ignore the craving. If I do get one, like I used to ignore people that I said I cared about, family members, stuff like that, I just ignore the craving if it comes. I rarely get cravings anymore, but when I do, I ask myself, did I try a new product? Did they change the ingredients on a product that I've been used to consuming and not the label? I could check it out. Maybe it's not a good fit anymore. So I use this analogy, whether it's with another person or a food item or anything, it's what I call the shoe store analogy. If I walk into a shoe store and I wear a size 11 and a half, and I'm just going to ask one person here, what size shoe do you wear? Eight. So if I go over to the women's section and I try on an eight woman's shoe, you know what's going to happen. We're going to have a sister-in-law or stepsister of Cinderella situation, right? (laughs) It's not going to fit. Is there something wrong with the shoe? No, it's brand new. It's right off the shelf. My foot's not deformed. It's just not a good fit. If this person comes and tries on an 11 and a half men's shoe, and ties it as tight as possible, it's going to flop around no matter how tight you tie it because it's not a good fit. It doesn't mean there's anything bad. I've worked with people in OA that it's not a good fit. We decide that and move on. Hopefully, they will find someone who's a better fit. I work on my posture. Just the word posture makes me want to stand up straight. Sit up straight. Sometimes I look in the mirror and I move to the side a little bit so that there's room for my higher power to look in the mirror with me so I'm not so harsh. I believe that my son, my wife, they watch me. If our roles were reversed and I was where they are, Would I want them to take care of themselves in this way? Yeah, I would. I try to take it easy one day at a time. I prepare most of my food at home. I brought all my food here for the weekend. I brush and floss my teeth after meals. I pray, thanking God for the subtle miracle daily. And what do I mean by subtle miracle? It's clear. If something's subtle, you ever see a performance in a movie, something you think, oh, that should have won the Oscar because it was so clear. And 
they didn't yell and tear apart the scenery with their dramatic whatever. That's subtlety. When you, I don't have to hit someone over the head. I don't have to yell during this entire talk. Subtlety. I pray on my knees, um, bedside, morning and night, anything to do with bed before I go to bed. When I get out of bed, I thank God for the gift of abstinence. I call my sponsor. I work with others. I work the steps. I go to meetings, but going to meetings is not going to make me, with other recovering compulsive overeaters, is not going to make me a recovering compulsive overeater, just like sitting in a chicken coop is not going to make me a chicken. No matter what I weigh or what I look like, I'm still a compulsive overeater. I recognize what I focus on will increase. If I focus on what's bad, that'll grow. If I focus on what's good, that'll grow too. I don't retain or remember everything that I've heard at meetings or the readings that I've read of our literature, just as I don't remember every single food item and every meal that I've had. But I will say this, I'm sure that they've all nurtured me in some way. This program allows me to be uncomfortable. I'm going to try this. I've got just a few minutes left. So anyone who's willing, just fold your hands like you're used to folding them and then open them up ever so slightly. Move the fingers down just one notch and then fold them again. That's uncomfortable, I bet, because it's not the way you're used to doing it, is it? Go back to the other way. Oh, my old friend, yes, this is the way I want to fold my hands. Now go back to the new way. It's not painful, right? It's just different. We get to do things differently. And it might be uncomfortable, but the rewards are great. Just like my breath, I've breathed, and you've all breathed a lot during these 45-plus minutes that I've been talking. But we just trust that it will be there. That's me and my higher power. I don't like, I don't want to exhale because I don't know if there's enough oxygen in this room. God bless you. You are not alone, and I'm going to finish with this. It's the GPS analogy. We all know what a GPS is, right? Global positioning system. Well, I call it a God positioning system. And my higher power, just like in the big book, page 181, will never give up on me, will never let us down. So what does that mean? When I start going, I say I want to go towards recovery, but then I kind of start to veer off or I let a harsh word come in or something. If I do that, God says, recalculating. And wherever I'm at at that point, I get another chance God never says, all right, you've taken too many wrong turns. I'm giving up on you. And the analogy I use is this. If I start in Milwaukee and I want to go to Chicago and I drive, let's say, for two hours and it says welcome to Green Bay or Appleton or something, you know what's happened, right? Now, does that mean after two hours I just keep going and heading into Canada? No. My higher power has been there all along, and so has yours, because you are not alone. <laughs>